Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, and the season's underway. It's been an extremely eventful weekend in the woods for a lot of reasons, and uh, super excited to see how many people around the Louisiana Bowhunter community actually posted pictures wearing Scree. Um, that's awesome. Love to see that, and... Uh, I, I just found out yesterday that it, some of you that have Scree or have shopped with Scree uh, because of you listening to their ads on this podcast or, or anything we've posted, you may be familiar with the Lost Peak jacket, which is like a uh, kind of a lightweight, full zip, kind of micro fleece type of jacket. It's kind of a really good mid-layer you can wear it under something for a little insulation, but it's a great just light over jacket in place of a hoodie or something like that. They've actually completely redone that jacket, and they just got the first shipment of those in, and they've uh, improved several parts of it, including the outer fabric, um, some of the uh, interior design, and several other things, and I am supposed to be getting uh, my new Lost Peak jacket soon, and there's going to be some information coming out about those in October. I think it is going to be a phenomenal whitetail piece. For the kind of weather that we have, it'll be a great all-around jacket and a great insulation piece when it gets colder if you want to put a bigger jacket over, but a great jacket to wear in and out of the woods and then you know something heavier over the top. It'll complement that, be a great addition to like that starter 
whitetail starter bundle that they sell that kind of gives you the basics. So um, that's something new that's coming out, and uh, you'll be seeing lots of things happen with Scree now that the season's going on. There'll be weekly specials and uh, other promotions during the season. So I always encourage you to follow them on social media and YouTube so you can find out more about the products and do your research, take advantage of the customer VIP um the customer vip program that they have that guarantees you get the right sizes and they take care of you through customer service that way and a lifetime warranty on the products so shop online at screegear.com so as i said we are now into the season and we have had a ton of of uh success to share with you and talk about a specific story we're going to talk about on this podcast today and uh joining me on this one colin what's up what's up man how you doing and our guest on the podcast is mr jacob lofton you may have saw us post about uh his uh success over the weekend jacob thanks for joining us what's going on man oh not much man thank you for having me so we're going to talk a little bit about jacob jacob's kind of specific story um that kind of caught our eye and we thought would be a great conversation for the for the podcast that's going to be kind of what we get into here but uh before we do that um just jacob i I probably can't ask you this question because this question is is really the the whole thing that we're going to talk about so i'll just ask colin kind of update us colin on your opening weekend i know you weren't in louisiana but tell us a little bit about your opening weekend yeah i was in texas uh it was it was a good pretty good weekend uh killed a pig i didn't the big deer we were chasing last year showed back up this year and he's still really really nice this year so that's that's the target i have i guess on my hit list over there for this year um and then actually this morning i made my first hunt in louisiana saw a little small buck but nothing too crazy but we were listening to the or as i was listening to the podcast intro with the thermosel that is exactly what happened to me this morning oh no <laughs> you know you always hope for it to light on the first push and it took about nine or ten and i'm getting frustrated and that's never good but first hunt in louisiana this morning and man it just felt really good so let me update y'all. I didn't go hunting. I'm the host of the ho- the owner, the host of Louisiana Bowhunter podcast, and I do all this stuff in the outdoor industry. And I hardly ever hunt on opening weekend, at least not in the South. I don't. Um, but this weekend specifically, I didn't hunt because I had to go to a wedding on opening day that we talked about last week. And you just made me. I wasn't really even going to say anything about this, but you just made me think. It was such a beautiful Saturday for opening weekend yeah weather and temperature wise and i think that plays a big part in the amount of success that we saw uh you know just when we talk about what we see we're talking about you all have the same view that we do i guess we get a lot of direct messages people send us um their stories and their pictures to post with louisiana bow hunter and just to share with us people that follow the community but a lot of that gets posted publicly too um through our community page and 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 everywhere else and and you all see it i mean i think everybody saw there were a lot of a lot of success 
and there's always a lot of deer killed on opening weekend because everybody's kind of it's kind of like so I, I i compare opening weekend of hunting season to like the first um series of offense in a in a football game so for those of you that don't know the majority of of i'm not a football coach but i'm a fan and i i spend most of my time that i'm not doing outdoor stuff is sports related and and so I get into all this kind of stuff with podcasts and stuff, and I listen because I'm just intrigued by it. The majority, especially in college football, probably the NFL too, I don't follow that as much, but I'm sure it's the same. The majority of the time, you know, unless a team is just really overmatched, they generally have success in their first offensive series, at least moving the football. And that's because they've spent all week preparing to play against this team, and they have scripted their initial, you know, first 10 15 plays and it's scripted with a ton of intel like they they have all you know nowadays with the internet they have all of this video they know every player that's going to play um in the game and who they're matched up against and they script their first offensive series so unless they're just really overmatched athletically they generally can at least move the ball because they have it scripted out for what they expect is going to work that is a to me an absolute great analogy to opening weekend of hunting season because you have had all of this time very strategically preparing where you're and how you're going to hunt those first sits and the deer are completely unaware of what's about to happen you know um they have not gotten any information from you to be like okay this dude's coming in and out of here at these times i mean we haven't started intruding that much and so um there's always a lot of sets this year i think the nice weather we had a lot of bucks a lot of really nice bucks and an overall high number of success stories. Back to my wedding and Collins mosquitoes. <laughs> How those? I'm just gonna put those two things together. So I go to the wedding, and um, it's a beautiful afternoon. Like absolutely, for an outdoor wedding, like you couldn't really ask. You're gonna have to go to a wedding on opening weekend of hunting season. Um, you couldn't really ask for much more than this. It was a you know sitting around eating all the finger foods and stuff and and waiting and it was a beautiful afternoon but the freaking mosquitoes were unbelievable and i'm like normally when normally when you get the little cool weather like that the mosquitoes just aren't as bad and they were horrible i I, i'm i hate a mosquito were they bad for you hunting jacob in louisiana oh yeah yeah that's the one reason why i ended up like standing up in that lean-to because i was hoping that they were at least a little bit better like i think it's like 15 foot off the ground that lean to was so i was hunting on the ground and it was they were just tearing me up and i tried to move into the woods and it was they were it got to the point where i couldn't stop slapping myself <laughs> so i moved out of the woods into the edge of my pasture and then um it was they were bad there and i had a lean to put up in the corner and so i got up in it and it was like manageable so what? And as the sun started going down, the wind picked up. That helped. What part of the state are you in? Oh yeah, yeah. What part of the state uh, are you in? Like mid mid state. And it's, um, Allah. Okay. Okay. So uh, in between, uh, yeah. What temperatures? Do you recall what the temperatures were you were hunting in? Well, it's, it's been like fifty something degrees in the morning, and then eighty. As, as high as it gets during the day. I can see the 80, but you would think early and late that cool would kind of, but it didn't. I don't know. Uh, and yeah, I was I outside. Think it just warms up. The sun stays up too much 
uh, yeah. during the day, and they they're still moving. Yeah. Is it uh, is it like really really wet where you are, or no. is it pretty dry? It's pretty dry. See, that's another surprising thing. Is it's been really dry for most of the state? Like, yeah. like it's really dry compared to yeah. what it normally is, and. Just I, that was surprised. The, the combination of factors, the, how bad the mosquitoes and gnats were, really surprised me. I, I live in a lot of like a water area. There's a lot of creeks and stuff. Yeah. So well, I guess the reason why we have I, I guess around my yard and stuff, I haven't noticed them too bad. But I guess where we were, there was a a, a, a big creek river close by to the weddings. I don't know, but that that was surprising. Um, one thing I one thing we wanted to do. Before we get into kind of the the topic that we want to talk about and kind of hearing Jacob's story and and what he was able to do this weekend and what he's been able to do leading up to this weekend was um, we've been encouraging you guys to send us uh, some like different questions or just leading topics of conversation you want us to talk about on the podcast and uh, want to kind of cover some of those things. Uh, and and make sure that when people do that, that we we actually try to hit on all the ones that we can. So I want to go over a couple of those things before we get into Jacob's story. Um, Colin had grabbed a few that he thought had been sent that we hadn't really talked about. So I'm going to hit a couple of those. So we'll start with this first one. Someone asked, does anyone actually pack enough ladder steps to hunt over 25 feet? And I'm assuming that we're going to be referring to mobile hunters here, mobile lock-on, mobile saddle. Um, yeah, I I'll say That's this. A good guess. <laughs> whenever I see these, whenever I see these these questions, I always have a little of an asterisk by them because, and I'm not calling out whoever put this question on there because I'm not trying to like say this about everybody, but I found. At a pretty, it's pretty accurate that most of the people who I see engaging in conversations about how high they are in the tree, they're almost never as high as they think they are. Almost never. Every time. I would almost I would definitely agree with that. Almost every time I hear somebody talking about how they were, they got, they, now I'm obviously like Jacob, you mentioned your, your lean to stand was 15 feet. We know how tall we are. Because we we build, it says or, it's eighteen foot, but it's at like a you know an angle. So well, all of those stands, you know how tall they are when you put them together and put them on the tree. I mean, you know what they are. But we're yeah. talking about people yeah. that are climbing in a climbing stand, or they're hanging sticks for you know a mobile lock on or a saddle or, or something like that, or even just lock ons where um, unless they're just absolutely right at the top of a designated number of of, of stick ladders. Everybody kind of, well, I, I probably got up there 30 feet. And it's like, eh, you, you probably didn't get up there 30 feet. <laughs> you probably didn't. But so, <laughs> so when I, I get the question, you know, when you get the question, does anybody pack enough ladder steps to hunt 20, over 25 feet? Here's my answer. And Colin, Colin is, is a little bit more mobily inclined than I am. So he pays a lot more attention to steps and height and how high he can get with this amount of equipment all that so he'll probably have a better opinion but my opinion is this i all five foot seven of me can't carry enough sticks to get 25 feet i don't i don't i'm not capable of spacing out i'm first of all i'm not going to carry more thousand dollars worth of gear it is it's it and and i'm not going (laughs) to carry 
a, a, I mean, I would have to carry six or seven sticks to legitimately get my platform to 25 feet. If you're looking to buy your very own hunting property, or maybe you got a piece of property that you're looking to sell, you need to contact our friend Slade Priest, the Hunting Land Man, a licensed realtor with Southern States Realty and a land pro with Realtree United Country Hunting Properties. Slade's more than just a real estate agent. As the host of the Sportsman Channel television show, Trained Assassins, and Hunt United on the Realtree 365 app, as well as his new digital series, Hunting Land Man, on Waypoint TV, his life has always been centered around the outdoors and God's creation. With the ability to leverage years of experience, knowledge, and a unique perspective gained from working in the family's timber and wildlife business, Slade just understands the recreational land market, and he gets results. Nobody sells more in Mississippi and Louisiana. To search for your new hunting property, visit huntinglandmanms.com or contact Slade at 601-888-0094 for a free consultation. If I take four sticks, four average size climbing sticks, and I'm not talking about a stick that's designed and engineered to be longer and bigger. I'm talking about just somewhere in that average 15 to 18 inch portable climbing stick. If I take a pack of four of them and I spread them out with aiders and I try to spread them out good, I pretty much got to put my lock on a good solid step above the top of my last stick to be in that 20 foot, 21, you know, between 18 and 22 feet, somewhere depending on, you know, how I'm able to space them. So to get 25 feet, I'd have to have a fifth stick and I'd have to get at the top of it. And I personally, I am not, and I don't, I, I'm not going to say that there are not people that are avid mobile hunters that find themselves like, hey, I know I'm going to this certain area. I kind of have this certain tree picked out, and I know I need to get really high. So on that one hunt, they don't bring an extra stick because they know. But I think the person that's just going into the woods with a mobile setup and looking like, hey, I'm going to get it a good height, I don't think people are getting 25 feet. And, and I think unless you're a really tall dude that, you know, can really stretch it out, I don't think anybody's getting 25 foot on average. What do you think, Colin? No, I um, – the system that I have, so if any just general double stick, I have the Lone Wolf Custom Gear doubles – they have the XOP doubles, they have the Hawk Helium doubles, the Novik doubles, any of those double sticks. I I can run three of those with, I run a three-step um, movable aider. And I'm very comfortable with it. I know some people aren't. I know Locke's not as comfortable with it. Um, I'm comfortable climbing up with that, but with that, three-step movable aider and three sticks, I can get up to like probably 23 stretching it. And that's with a three-step mobile aider. I guess if you wanted to get – the only way I could see you getting to 25 feet in a, a reasonable manner is with a three-step movable aider with climbing sticks. I, I don't think – I don't think you're getting – that high like you were saying people think they're higher than they are like people say oh yeah i was 20 foot up and you only use two sticks well no you weren't 20 foot with two sticks because you're not getting 10 feet per stick yeah um so no i I don't think i think you can probably get close to it with the way i'm at but the way i I do it but 
I don't I don't aim to go that high and I don't think I don't think anybody's really getting twenty five feet in a reasonable yeah. what would, manner. What would be the difference between hunting twelve foot and then twenty foot? How big of a difference would it make as far as like the you know being able to see more deer or the deer seeing you? I think it's Does more it about I think it's more what the biggest difference it makes is scent. The higher you okay. get, the more possible advantage there are in thermals and and scent like literally if you can if you can get really really high there's a certain range around you where if the deer gets in that range your scent literally just goes over them you know now there's the whole question of how do they get in that range without still passing through you know what at what at what distribution does your scent still get that low yes but i guess there, there there's there's something to be said for that the higher you get the further your scent travels before it gets down to where the the deer will smell you, supposedly, I think that's the advantage. The other, you know, when you talk about the line of sight, Jacob, I think another thing that that a lot of people maybe uh, maybe don't think about as much is most of the places we hunt down here in the south, the canopy doesn't dictate that you can really get that high in a, in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. I know that there's yeah. I know there's some people that's got wide open timber or 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 older thinned select cut pines where you know you can get a hundred feet up in some of those pine trees if you wanted yeah. to. But in a lot of cases, especially in archery season, the canopy just doesn't. I mean, you're you're actually making it harder on your line of sight, and then. As an archery hunter, the higher you get, the more you have to deal with angles um, yeah. for deer that that do get close. And so, like when you just throw all of those components into a into a gumbo and mix it up, if you can get fifteen to eighteen feet, have some cover, play the wind right, and set yourself up so that so that you're at, you're not just sitting in a spot, but you're sitting in the spot, so that when the deer passes you. He's at that right distance. He's not too close. He's not too far away. Everything takes care of itself best, you know. Um, to me, yeah. if I could draw my perfect scenario, I want to be 18 feet, and I want the deer to be about 22 yards broadside. And then, obviously, I've got to do my part to make sure that when I find that setup that I'm hunting the wind correctly and I've got some cover both behind me and around me. And if you do that, that's, to me, the most high-percentage formula for executing on a shot opportunity. So, you know, the higher you get, there's some advantages in some situations with both line of sight and scent, but there's also some disadvantages to it, too. And I think to kind of answer that question very directly... Is anyone packing? I mean, the question is: Does anyone pack enough ladder steps? I think, in my opinion, I don't know, as I've not done enough. <laughs> I know I haven't hunted with people myself that are packing that many sticks, unless, I, unless, like I've said, I mean, I've been in camp with people before who had a specific game plan in mind, and maybe they did a little bit more than they would normally do to get in that specific set. So you know, maybe they hunted out of a climber that they don't normally hunt out of, but they did it specifically because they could climb way up high in this tree. Or they took an extra set of sticks because they were trying to, you know, maneuver this certain setup. But on an average day, I don't think very many mobile hunters 
are going in there with, you know, the amount of sticks that it's going to take the average person to get that high. That's that's yeah, my thought I mean, about that, if, if you're carrying too many, like, you know, ladder steps, then I guess you haven't done any scouting. You, you don't know how high you're going to get, you know, um, yeah. if you're just going in there for the first time or something. Yeah. That's, I, that's what I would do if, if I hadn't been in a place before and didn't know where I was going to hunt and didn't know how, how high I was going to hunt. Well, I usually pack more than what I need. There, there's an old video on the, on the Louisiana Bowhunter um, YouTube channel that Kyler and I did several years ago, and we did it in my front yard. I have a bunch of tall, clean oak trees here in my yard, and there are, a lot of them are really good climbing size. And so we did a video of how Kyler is Kyler hunts with a mobile lock-on system, and um, so basically he does everything the same as as the, the saddle hunting, except he hangs a lock-on instead of gets in a saddle. And he he showed how he he he, he tries to get to twenty feet, and he he showed how he was able to get to twenty feet with his stick setup. But the caveat, and he showed exactly how he did it, is a fic, uh, effective. An efficient method that he's kind of tinkered with and and gotten, you know, perfected so to speak in his own way. But the and that works good. But the problem is, if you're like me and you're five foot seven and you're watching <laughs> six foot three Kyler do this video, it's really not applicable because I can do everything that Kyler did, and I'm going to be, yeah. you know, uh, considerably shorter, half shorter than he is at the end of that routine. So I guess to, to wrap that question up, um, does anyone pack enough? I don't know. I'm sure there's some people who are could just convinced and they're willing to do the extra work of hauling more gear in to do it and get that high. But I don't think that most people um, are, I think most people are going in with a three or four stick setup that, that either nest with their stand or they have some way of packing it efficiently. And they're probably getting somewhere between 15 and 20 feet with that setup, the average person. Next question, and I have a good answer for this. Uh, maybe y'all do different from me. I know Colin doesn't use the same thing I use, and I, Jacob, maybe you. What product are you using for a gear hanger? And I think that this prob- was probably submitted when we asked people about saddle hunting, but I think it's yeah. applicable for whatever kind of stand you're on. What, what product are you using for a gear hanger? So, Colin, you got all kind of you got a whole freaking pack full of accessories. So, I'll let you answer first. Um, right now, I'm running well for for saddle hunting. I'm running the um, Latitude Outdoors. They they made a gear hanger last year, and in my opinion, it's the best one on the market. Uh, you just you wrap it around the tree, and it's got the loops where you can clip things. And then, but what I like most about it is the the tag end that just hangs down. It has a clip, but it it also has like an adjustable buckle on it. So you clip your bow on it, but then you can just really easily, like while you're setting your stuff up, just pull the slack out and pull pull your bag up to like stomach height, like where you can work with it. And then when you're done and you're ready to hunt, you just slide it down the buckle and get it. I, I usually put mine like, right below my feet where it's out of the way. Um, and to me, I really, really like that one. It's, it's worked, worked really, really well for me. Um, and then for stand hunting, um, 
for a mobile set, if you, if I guess if you're on private land, I think the best, the best one is just like the, the articulating arms with like the three sections, like the really long one. And it just allows you to wrap that thing all the way around to pretty much like right next to you where it needs to be without having to move a lot. Um, and you can just grab your bow and not move a lot. And then you don't have to get 25 feet in the tree because <laughs> you don't have to move a lot. Um, so I guess that's what I use for stand hunting. And then saddle hunting is the, the latitude outdoors gear hanger. Jacob, do you use a specific product? Bro, I'm a noob. I don't know anything about hangers or anything like that. I'll <laughs> cut a limb off. <laughs> if I was up in the air, I'd probably cut a limb off, you know, because yeah. I've never hunted private land. I've hunted, we have a lease that I've been on for a long time. And I just bought 20 acres, well, 20, 21, 22. And um, that's what I've been hunting on. That's that's where I hunted on our hunting lease the first that morning. And then that evening I was out here at my land. Yeah. So I got, yeah, I got limbs cut off for hangers. So I, um, I'll throw my hat in the ring. I I hunt a lot of um a lot of uh pre-hung sets. And on those, honestly, I go on Amazon and I buy those six pack of that HME brand which stands for Hunting Made Easy, which is one of the most obvious brand names on the market. Everybody says HME and it sounds so official and it just stands for Hunting Made Easy. But that it's just a a, a two section foldable arm, and it's got a couple little gear hooks on the on the the, the, the section closest to the tree. They're fairly inexpensive, and they are a, just a good basic product. So, like on pre hung sets where I've I've got the stand set up and it's ready to go whenever I want to go get in it, I got a whole sack full of those over the years that um. I just I go ahead and when I set my stand up, I I go ahead and hang that there so that when I go to that, all I got to do is climb up there, hang my bow, turn around, sit down, you know, and it's done. And then you know I'll you just use basic little just the basic little gear hooks, you know, just to hang my backpack on or whatever. As far as like for mobile, I have a product that's made by Hawk. Uh, I'm sure people have seen a lot of hawk products they make everything from tree stands to accessories and all kind of stuff but they make a uh, a telescoping bow arm gear gear holder bow arm type thing and the reason i like it it, 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 it there's several reasons but for the functionality of hanging my bow or hanging gear on it what's so great about it is when you telescope it it's only probably six to eight inches long and then when you can telescope it out and it's more like 12 to 14 inches long, I don't know exactly what it does, but it's, you know, so if you're in a saddle and you don't need a really long arm, you can use it as the short, or if you're in a lock-on and you need it longer to kind of come out around your shoulder, you can telescope it out. The other thing that it does is the screw-in part of it actually twists, so it has, a, and then it has like this little, this little uh, thing that, pushes down against the tree to give it more stability that thing also doubles and folds back in the other way and covers up the uh the screw in part so you spin it back around and close it up and when you if you're carrying it in your pack you don't have your your screw in part like poking and 
jabbing and in your pack and whatever other gear you have. And so the whole thing telescopes in. The uh, the utility hook on the end folds under. The, the uh, screw end folds under. And the whole thing is probably six or seven inches long when it's all folded up. And it just packs really easy. It's like a carbon fiber material so it doesn't rust. Um, so, honestly, I have a couple of those little basic gear hooks that's basically just a little u-shaped hook you know with a screw in uh and those are they're they're i mean they're nothing in size they're the size of a pack of gum and they don't weigh anything i always have two or three of those in a side pocket somewhere in my pack because i can always just screw one of those in real quick and easy to hang my quiver or my gear or my whatever on and i have that telescoping telescoping telescopic what is the word telescopic i think is the word um arm like a bicycle hanger right is that what you're talking about yeah something like that but that uh the the little ones the gear they're even smaller than that i mean they're probably not four or five inches long just kind of in a u-shape um i just i mean that to me it's simple there's lots of products out there and they're all functional but it's like with everything else you can over gear yourself you know um to me that's the easiest setup last question and Jacob, I, I had to ask you about this before the call, so I know this doesn't apply to you, but I, I got a story to tell. Oh, it boy. says, uh, do you wish you had switched to a saddle sooner? So, Colin, you just go ahead and opine on that while I prepare my response. With the rising cost of goods and record high inflation, wouldn't it be great to save money on your auto insurance? With most companies in Louisiana increasing their rates on auto insurance, American National took a rate decrease. We look out for the best interests of our clients and look forward to earning your trust as well as your business. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. You're on your way to your stand early in the morning and you have an accident. You run off the road, total your truck, your bow, guns, and hunting gear, Damaged, maybe totaled as well. True or false, your auto coverage covers your bow, guns, and hunting gear that got damaged. False, your homeowners or rental coverage has content coverage that extends to this event. To find out more, call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, I don't think my answer is really a yes or a no, because as soon as it became popular again, you know, five years ago or what, whenever I, I jumped on it right away. So I don't know if there's really a sooner. I just wanted to try it out as soon as it came out. Um, and for, like I said, last time I like it a lot. It's light, it's efficient, easy. Great for for filming, so it's it's treated me well. Um, how about you, Locke? <laughs> so <laughs> there's been people po- <laughs> there, there's been people posting memes and things on the internet talking about. Okay, so probably a year ago, or at least a year ago, I kind of made a proclamation of sorts on this here podcast that. 
I was completely satisfied with my system, and I saw no reason to ever go hunting with a saddle. That I recognized the ability that it provided, and I recognized the versatility and how, how much of a tool it could be, but I didn't think that I would ever do it. Fast forward to the end of last season, and I did buy a saddle because I just the, the intrigue of it got the better of me, and I couldn't help. So I bought one, and I hunted with it at the end of last season, probably no more than five or six hunts. I mean, I literally, I bought this thing at the ATA show, which if you're not familiar is the big archery trade association show where all the new gear for the year comes out. And they do that like in the middle of January. I bought it at the ATA show. And so you got to think I come home and I only got like two weeks to hunt and the season's over. So I made a couple of sits in it because I had this new product and I was curious about it. But I never really, like, made a serious hunt. I was going and hunting in places that were easy to get to, where I knew there were trees that would be easy to climb for a, a, a newbie using this equipment. And, you know, I was kind of like, well, you know, this is this is okay. But my concerns about it have always been the ergonomics and whatever of drawing and shooting a bow out of this thing that's always my my questions have never been about how much more versatile and lightweight and easy it could be to kind of get in any tree on any given day that has always been an obvious advantage it's quiet it's lightweight it's easy to pack in and out you can get up in almost any tree you can get in trees that you can't get in in any other elevated hunting scenario including a lock-on um all of those things were obvious to me but uh, the thing that I always worried about was you got all these ropes and straps and all this that attach you, and you're standing on a platform that's basically just big enough to rest your feet on and kind of keep you in the right posture. It's not a, necessarily a platform that you're going to spend a lot of time standing on. I mean, when you stand up on it, you're chest-to-chest chest with the tree pretty much. And I always kind of told the story or used the scenario as, as a kid – when growing up as a kid, some of the first climbing stands that my dad had were made um, where you face the tree. You know, you get in the thing and you climb up it and you're facing the tree. So for a rifle hunter, that's fine. You just kind of, you know, you point yourself looking at the tree with the direction you're wanting to hunt around the tree. So it actually provides you some cover and then you just prop your gun up on the tree and you, you know. But for a boat, we bow hunted in these things too and it was always... Compli- more complicated than sitting in a ladder or a lock-on where you're facing with your back to the tree because the tree is always right in front of you. And on these old climbers, they were more similar to a saddle setup in that the bottom piece of the climber wasn't really big. It wasn't a big platform type of setup the way some of the climbers are nowadays that where you, you climb up and turn around and face away from the tree so that they basically become a lock-on once you get up there where you want to hunt. These weren't like that. This was a small little foot piece that was basically just designed to help you climb up the tree it wasn't much for moving around on so when you stood up you had that compact area between yourself and the tree that you had to maneuver your bow around to shoot and i never liked that um you know and so when i got a little older i bought me a climber that i could turn around and i started using ladders and lock-ons well we always use ladders but i started using lock-ons and uh, like I said, a a, a, a a bigger, not necessarily a bigger climbing stand, but a, a climber with a bigger platform and a seat that I could turn around and sit facing away from the tree. And I was like, that 
I, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna try to bow hunt out of a stand where I'm facing the tree again. I just I, I always dislike that. I saw that with the the saddle, the same problem with the exception of now not only am I facing the tree with less foot room, but now I have like this bridge and tether rope and other stuff in between me and the tree as well. I'm like this is gonna be a problem. I can feel it. It's gonna be a problem. And so, in full disclosure, I went hunting in this thing without shooting out of it. And, and again, I did not go hunting with any anticipation of actually shooting a deer. I, I really, I set myself up in it last year knowing that I was set up where the only shot I was going to take was within 20 yards to my strong side where I knew I could just lean back in the saddle and draw back and shoot. Like, I didn't have to practice it. I knew I could do it. I was not prepared, nor was I willing to to swing around the tree and make any of these other awkward shots where I had to maneuver the whole situation. Fast forward to yesterday. (laughs) So yesterday I decide, because everybody's been making fun of me because I said I was going to hunt of a saddle more this year. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, I think that was one of your goals at the beginning of the year. Yeah, one of the goals that I set out was I was going to hunt in the saddle more. I was going to give it a shot. And and in fairness, I do like the saddle is comfortable, and the gear that I have is comfortable, and it's a good way to hunt. But I decided, all right, I hadn't hunted yet this year. I'm getting ready to try to plan out and make a, a few hunts before I, my, I, I rarely hunt a whole lot in the early season. But So I go out in the yard. My son has a ladder stand in the yard. And he's got a couple of targets where he can shoot at different distances. So I go out there, and I get in a tree around his ladder. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to practice shooting at these targets. And I moved them around where I had to shoot at different angles. So I climb up in the tree. I got a 3D target at 15 yards, and it's on my perfect strong side. And that really wasn't a problem, as I ex- expected. I you know, was able to shoot that was just a basic shot, with the exception of not being able to kind of have that foundation of my feet being set. I was able to make that shot okay. All of the other shots, hell no. It was exactly, exactly what I expected it to be. It was a just a cluster going on up there. And there's no doubt in my mind that if I dedicated myself to it, that I could do it. I mean, I could do it now. Colin asked me, we were texting about it last night, and he's like, you know, is it really that bad? I'm like, it's not really that bad. If I if I needed to feed my family, I could kill meat out of it. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But like, I, but in the grand scheme of things, I I am not writing it off. I'm not saying that I'm not going to hunt out of it. I am just confirming that all of my fears about having to really do a lot of effort to get used to this and figure out how to be able to shoot more than one spot which is supposed to be one of the advantages of the saddle, is that you can cover 360 degrees. I have yet to figure out how that is being a sales pitch because (laughs) I can, without a doubt, stand up in a lock-on today and shoot way more effectively at a wider range of angles than I can out of that saddle. And so the question is just, do I wish I would have switched sooner? No, I don't wish I would have switched sooner (laughs) because I – He's actually got one for sale right now. No, I'm not. I'm not going there. Like I like no. you know the Buzzard Roost Saddle Company here in Louisiana. They make a great product. They've been a advertiser on this podcast. We've had them on to talk about it. I think it, I still think it's a great tool, and that's what it is for me. 
if I get in a situation where I need to make a mobile sit to get in a spot that I want to get into, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do a lot more practicing and work to get used to shooting out of it. But I'm not like just in the spirit of this question. I'm not in a situation where I'm like everything about this thing is just the best way for me to hunt. I'm not like that. So I'm not I'm not ever gonna quote unquote switch to a saddle. It's just another tool that I can use in given scenarios where, hey, this is the right day, the right opportunity to hunt in this spot, and the best way I can do it is, is with a saddle, then I'm going to do the preparation to be able to do that. But, I, you know, I am not yet of the opinion that it's going to take the place of all other mobile hunting options for me. That, you know, or even be my necessarily my primary. If I can get a lock-on in a tree, for me personally – I'm going to be more confident that I can get that set in a way that I can cover the area I want to hunt better. That's where I'm at. Jacob, I know yeah. you told me you didn't hunt out of a saddle, so I don't guess you can. <laughs> I got friends that do it. And, uh, like, I have never been up in one. So, I, like, I know what you're talking about, shooting out of your strong side. I can see that happening. But do you just turn inside the saddle or, or something if you want to? Well, you, you, use, way, you use your different. Up? There's different. <laughs> couple different ways you can do basically as i understand it and as i've seen and what i was trying to you use your feet to kind of push yourself around into you move yourself so so your bridge stays connected and so that point of of contact is always there and that's always kind of your center and you you keep your weight into that yeah, and you keep your weight yeah. into that center it's like point. Repelling, basically, right? Yeah. Repelling. So you, you ever repel before? Yeah. Yeah. So you, right. you, so for a, from a bow perspective, you position your feet to kind of push yourself around one side or the other of the tree, and then gotcha. you can get in position. But like the other thing that I noticed very quickly was, and this is just me. Other people may be stronger than I am, but. I would have to, like, if I wanted to hunt out of a saddle exclusively or primarily, I would have to lower my my poundage. Because a lot of those angles, I'm not comfortable getting at a smooth draw. The, like, if I'm standing up in a lock-on or a ladder stand or even a climbing stand where I've got both of my feet on the ground and I can really get my arms out and get, I can I can draw smooth straight back to my anchor and I'm good. But a lot of those angles I was trying to shoot out of the saddle, it, you know, I would have to lower my poundage to be able to get that smooth without a lot of extra movement and all that kind of stuff. So that that was something I noticed too. And a lot of that's just, again, a lot of that's just practice and preparation. You got to shoot, you know, and be practiced to shoot at those angles and all all that kind of stuff. So I, I that none of my answer was meant to to be a like a, a, a negative against saddle hunting. I'm not. I'm not even. I'm like. To, I'm not selling my saddle setup. I'm just. I'm just using my experience yesterday to kind of talk about this question in that I, you know, haven't done a lot of preparation in the thing. And after doing that yesterday, I realized that I definitely, it definitely takes some getting used to. And I, I, I haven't been able to prove to myself that it's going to take the place of other mobile options if they are, if they are an option on a given setup type of scenario if that's all you had you you would become proficient at it oh definitely if i if and honestly like we're going to get into this with your with your story you know you're 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 hunting with a a traditional bow 
And, you know, that's a different draw cycle. And honestly, I can see how hunting with a longbow or recurve-style bow would probably be a whole lot easier out of a saddle because it's a shorter straight to your, you know, it's, you're not, you're not breaking a cam over in the draw cycle. You're not, you don't have that. When you pull back, like that's it. Like you're ready to go. Yeah. So pull back and then wait for the deer to come out. It's It's pull back. Boom. That the draw cycle and shot process of a traditional bow would seem to be much easier to handle out of the saddle than a compound where you get halfway through your draw and you got to give it an, an extra umph to get that cam to break over yeah. you know um so i guess that's something i really didn't think about but just you know kind of considering what we're going to talk about with your story yeah. um and i know a lot of the a lot of the the uh kind of uh, in, increase in popularity of, of saddle hunting has some of that has paralleled some of the increase in traditional hunting and you know like mr warren womack who's here in louisiana like he's he's been a big proponent of not only traditional archery but saddle hunting and i can see where that bow and that shooting method would be easier and more ergonomic from the saddle so to just kind of wrap the question up i don't wish i had switched any sooner i will say this (laughs) if there's any answer to that i wish i wish i had spent more time at the end of last season and in the off season shooting out of it more because you know now here we are the season opening and i'm kind of got some areas i was thinking about hunting with a saddle and now i'm like ooh, i need to do a lot more prep before i go try to shoot a deer out of one of these things so uh that part i wish i had done sooner but uh overall anyway so again i want to encourage people send us questions and they don't have to be direct questions they can just be like hey I'd like to hear y'all bullshit about this topic. I want to hear what your opinions are about this topic, you know, or, or something. Um, you can you can post on the community group. You can send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can email us at info at Louisiana Bowhunter. Or on the website, there's a contact form thing where you can submit a message and it emails it to us. Any of those kind of things that, you, that, that you'd be interested in us hearing um, uh, or talking about on the podcast, either in a segment like this or as a primary topic with a certain guest, any of those things, we want to provide the content that you want to listen to. That's obviously what makes this work. So I want to encourage people to continue to interact with us in that regard so that we're um, talking and answering questions and talking about topics that people want to hear. Born in the swamps of South Louisiana, Buzzard Roost Saddles fits the need for a more efficient means for trekking the swamps and hunting elevated. What began as a scrappy saddle made of sit and drag and paracord has evolved into one of the most innovative and quality saddles on the market today. Buzzard Roost Saddles is a small company located in Santa Mar, Louisiana, catering to those scrappy guys that go the extra mile. Whether it's packing out a rugged country or push-poling a P-Road through muddy swamps, Buzzard Roost Saddles are designed with quality and comfort in mind for hunters looking to get elevated and hunt mobile. For a quality hunting saddle made right here in Louisiana, shop online at buzzardroostsaddles.com. So as we segue here, um, I've introduced Jacob. Um, we've he's you know talked a little bit, so we've gotten to know you a little bit, Jacob. You you're in Central Louisiana, and um, if you if you did not see the post on social media, Jacob was able to kill. Correct me. This is your first ever deer with a bow. No, first bow kill. Yeah, yeah. First bow kill. First bow kill. This is his first bow kill, yeah. and he did it with a 
traditional bow that he made himself. So, I have a lot of questions. First of all, <laughs> first of all, the, it's a really cool story. And, you know, you didn't kill the trophy buck of a lifetime, but it doesn't matter. You killed a freaking trophy. Just no. the whole thing is, is yeah, just that's, amazing. That's not a deer meat, man. I had to have it. <laughs> Well, if I was you, awesome story. if I was you, I would one hundred have percent have shot the first legal animal I could with my own homemade bow on my first ever bow kill. Anyway, so it doesn't that part is irrelevant to this whole story. Um, yeah. I just want to start out, get you to just kind of give us a little bit of your background, like how you got into hunting, and you know, just kind of what brought you to this point today, and then and then once you tell us that, we'll talk a little bit more about the process that you went through to to kind of do this well um i've hunted my whole life um, mostly well all pretty much i wouldn't even say rifle hunting it's mostly been shotgun um my dad you know he's he's still hunting he's he's hunted his whole life um he took me i remember the first time ever went hunting was probably i was four or five years old and we were sitting in a box stand and I remember sitting, he told me to sit on the floor and look out the back and let him know if there was a deer walking up, but he wouldn't let me up in the window because my hair was too blonde. You know, <laughs> that's what he, I remember him telling me, he's like, your hair is too blonde to be standing up. But I remember having a 410 and um, I don't even think it was loaded. I was just carrying it because it was like the first gun that was given to me. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and I was sitting on the floor of that box stand looking out the back Um I don't remember if we shot anything or anything like that, but, you know, after that, it's all I ever remembered was if it was the weekend, we was going to the hunting club we had a camp out there. So my dad and he built a camp out of a, a school bus. And I remember him building the cabinets in there and like we had a porch and we had a swing and we would hang the deer from the beech tree and skin them out there and, the guts in the creek uh you know i did that up until we was in high school and we hunted with shotgun because you know we weren't very well off and daddy had you know pawned his uh rifle off like a long time before that to like pay bills and stuff because he worked in the oil field and the oil field went under and everybody was getting laid off and uh you know then he switched from working offshore to like working production side around the town and you know it didn't pay nothing so he's always hunted with a shotgun um with either buckshot or slugs in it and um you know that's kind of how i you know i hunted up until the point i uh, graduated high school and then i joined the military and i was gone for like uh four or five years and then when i came back i lived in monroe for like 15 years so i didn't really hunt I'd hunt, I'd come in and hunt, but you know, it, I don't know. It just, it never hit the same, like when I was a kid, you know, going out to the hunting club, cause we'd gotten off the hunt club that we were on and we moved across the Creek to another one. And it, it was closer to the, to the house. So we didn't have to have a, you know, a camp we could leave and, and be at the hunting club in, you know, four or five minutes. Um, it was just a, it was a different feeling. And, you know, it, it didn't have that childlike feeling anymore. I killed my first deer the first time I ever, like, hunted by myself and, you know, was, you know, uh, followed the blood trail, drug it out by myself. And, you know, it just didn't, it didn't have that anymore. That didn't have that uh, excitement. Um, 
and all the hunting I did, like post deployment and everything, it, you know, it, it kind of had, it had more of an emotional effect to how I felt about hunting. Um, you know, that's, I don't know if you want me to dive off into that. No, I I just, uh, I really wanted to kind of, to learn where you're coming from. And I think you did a good job of explaining that, like, you know, uh, probably not that um different from a lot of people who didn't grow up bow hunting you know who has a passion and a background in the outdoors and hunting but most of us on some level the majority of us i would say grew up hunting with a firearm of some kind you with a family member a dad or an uncle or brothers or all of the above and um you know, at some point, kind of graduated along into, you know, expanding their hunting from hunting that way to hunting in other ways, and that, you know, lends itself to archery. So the one thing that's kind of different, I guess, for you is being someone that grew up hunting and has taken part in it most of your life on some level, you know, I guess it was much later in life that you decided to get involved in archery and, and kind of get yeah. to where you are today with, with what you were able to accomplish um this year so my question is so to bury the lead a little bit jacob built his own bow he he made his own bow and we're going to get into more of the specifics of that in this conversation but you built your own bow and you were able to you know kill your first deer ever with a bow with that bow um this past opening weekend so had you ever had you bow hunted at all before this or was this your first ever bow hunting like a couple of times, my brother, he gave me his old bow, which I still have. It's a compound bow. Um, and I, you know, I hunted with it a couple of times, but I never even drew back on anything. Like, I never even seen a deer when I was hunting with it. I was in high school, maybe eighth grade, you know. I just, I never got into it. And, um, you know, Daddy, he never really, you know, was like, hey, you should use the bow. It was more like, you know. I had a, at that time, I think when I was in high school, I'd had a, I actually had a 30-30 by then. And that's pretty much what I used up until here recently. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I never really gave bow hunting a chance. I wanted to. Now, I, I shot in the yard a lot, killed some birds with it. Um, but, you know, it, it was kind of, it wasn't really a, a passion of mine at the time. It didn't. It, ain't, it isn't like it is now. So the obvious question to me, and this is the part, maybe, I mean, the whole thing is is kind of a, a, a crazy and impressive story, but the thing about it to me, I guess the, the, the main question that, that I want to ask is, how do you go from, eh, I might bow hunt sometime one day, I might get into it, I mean, I've never really gotten into it, I don't know. How do you go from that to, I'm going to build my own bow and start hunting with it. Like the what? hardest way possible. <laughs> so oh, most man. people would like get a bow and get into bow hunting. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself to kind of build my own traditional bow. Or even like, yeah. I think it's even probably more likely that somebody goes. That's the third step. The third step. Like you start bow hunting and you're like, you know what? I'm getting pretty good at this. I'm going to get a traditional bow and I want to kill a deer that way. And then they're like, you know what? I'm going to build my own bow. <laughs> you went, you just fast tracked past to, those first two yeah. steps. So that's, that's yeah, kind of interesting. I, I don't really, I didn't really realize that I did that until it actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it's, the whole thing's been kind of like, you know, the reaction from it's been a little overwhelming. I don't. It's a pretty unique story, man. I, I didn't expect it, man, you know. And if it wasn't for my buddy, uh, Chet Atkins, I would have never even, you know, said anything pretty much to anybody. It was just meant for the family and friends to see. Um, but, like, so, uh, you know, I hunt with a 30-30 open sights. I don't even have a uh, scope on it. Um, the past couple deer I've killed, and it just kind of, I don't know, man, like, I, I got real emotional about it, and, like, even the last one I killed with a rifle, like I, I like I tear it up. I don't know why. It was, you know. So ever since, ever since, like I, I got out of the military in two thousand seven, and we came back from deployment in two thousand six, and I, I never really uh, went out into the wood. I never really, you know, like some people are all about firearms and stuff, and they're all about, you know posing with their M4 and their, their setup and their kits and stuff like, you know, that I really, that doesn't give me, you know, any kind of joy to like want to do that kind of stuff. And even though I have rifles and everything and I have purchased some in the past couple of years, it's never really, it's never really uh, been something I wanted to, to do or seek out after or fight, you know, you know, posting videos of shooting targets and stuff. Um, you know, that whole, that whole thing never, it, it, people do it. I respect it. That's cool. But it's not, it's not something that I do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, the past couple of deer, I've, I've just been, I don't know, man, it's the last one was I was sitting on the side of a ridge and it was basically just like walking up to me. It, I was, you know, I guess I was downwind and just, I seen it coming through the woods. So I sat down leaned up against my pack and I was just right up against the hill. It never seen me. And it was just like walking right at me a little six point, And I, I shot it and dude, it, when it went down, it dropped right there and it just kind of flopped until it died. And man, it was, it was like right there in front of me. And I don't know, man. It just like, I, I just thought it was like, this was too easy. This was, uh, you know, I don't, I'm, it's hard to explain. You were, but it, you it, like, to... it, like made, it, it made me cry, man. It was, um, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking about it now. It makes me, like, you know, kind of tear up. But so I guess that turned on the switch of making me want to do something different, right? I just I wanted to maybe even the playing field, maybe. I don't know. I didn't feel like I, like, you know, outsmarted deer. I've never killed a big deer or anything. But, you know. I've just felt like I, whenever I shoot a deer with a rifle, like it's, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm good at shooting. I know I am. That's never been a problem for me. It's, it was just, it felt too easy and it felt like it was unfair a little bit. Hmm. I, I don't know. It wasn't I, it, like fulfilling any, really yeah. any more it for you. It didn't bring that childlike feeling. Right. That so I'd, you were Always looking, yeah. I think you were looking for. I think people will really resonate with that message because I think most of us who are, whether you exclusively bow hunt or you're just in that place where you like to hunt with your bow more than you do a, a rifle, I feel like I know it is for me and a lot of people that I've talked to over the years. That in some way, that same general feeling is shared by people. It's like you know. At, at some point when you know, 
like, like you said, I think kind of what you were kind of trying to say is you know you're proficient enough with that rifle that it's unfair. If you get the opportunity, you're going to kill the deer. Like, yeah. all you really got to do is see him, you know, in a reasonable uh, distance. And, and you're th- there becomes something more fulfilling. And, 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 and I think yeah. that fulfillment comes through the challenge of getting really oh, close oh. to an animal that's actually, you know, smarter, at least in, in instinct-wise, than you are in their environment and being able to fool them and trick them, it 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 becomes a much more fulfilling experience when you're able to do all of that and be successful with a with an ethical harvest and all that kind of stuff. That's also the reason why it's such a it's so difficult to wound an animal with a bow and not find it. You know, I there's always the there, there's always the part of you feel bad that you wounded an animal and it's suffering. There's always that, but there's also, to me, I think, even if it's subconscious for people, there's also the, the amount of effort and how close you get to achieving a goal and then to not finish the deal. That is a hard thing to overcome for people when they shoot a deer with a bow and can't recover it. So just putting all that together, I think, parallels your... I mean, it's your own personal message and it has your own twist to it, yeah. but I think it parallels... A similar feeling that a lot of archery hunters have where, you know, there's, I would say, like I said leading into this, there's probably not a whole lot of people that just, when they were a kid, started shooting deer with a bow. Everybody got introduced to hunting with firearms, whether it be small game hunting or deer hunting with firearms or just shooting firearms and then going from target shooting to actually hunting with them. And then, you know, then we develop as hunters and we decide, hey, we want a, we want a more of a challenge. We want more of a – and what that equals is that same level of just kind of personal fulfillment that you get from doing it. So yeah. I think when, your when message – you're a kid and you, and, you, and you have your first – you get your first kills, like it's 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 something that you never expected up, up until then. Like well, that – Because you've never done it before and it just brings – it brings you joy. You're like, oh, oh my God, I can do what my dad does. You know, it's yeah. like, I think it's, like uh, I think it's kind of like a lot of like a, a lot in the same way of what we we're talking about leading into this. Like the maturation that people typically have is those same feelings and experiences. Like the first time you do it, it's great. And then you get really good at it. And then it's like, ah, I need to challenge myself some more or, or, you know what? And so you, 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 you move on, you, you start bow hunting. That's more challenging. Well, now I'm going to start trying to hunt with a traditional bow. That's really challenging. Well, then I'm going to start building my own arrows, you know. And then I'm, you know, the ultimate is like building your own bow and making it a, yeah. a, a piece of equipment that's capable of being accurate and powerful enough to kill a big game animal. That's a. You just fast forwarded through a lot of that. You went from you went from yeah. the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate of like challenging myself to to the ultimate degree. So. Yeah. I think the next the next question in in the in the story is obviously so how when and how did you decide hey I'm going to I'm assuming you probably had to do some level of research and kind of study to, to to learn how to do this and probably some trial and error and stuff but what brought you to the place of saying you know what I, I want to build my own bow that I can shoot that's a capable enough piece of equipment that I can hunt with it what brought you to that place Well it's probably uh 2020 and the whole COVID thing, like, uh, you know, we were living in Monroe and when it hit, I was very fortunate enough to be the one that had to stay home with three kids while, because my wife, she's in the medical field. So, uh, 
I was there with three young kids, like six and under, mm-hmm. two girls and a boy. And so I already had problems with, you know, post-military. I had struggled with alcoholism and addictions and PTSD and anxiety, a lot of stuff, you know, stuff that I've been dealing with for about 12 years leading up to that, um, which in 2019, I finally went and got help. Um, but anyway, and then COVID hit. So I was trying to find ways to, like, I was trying to find some sort of therapy while I was there to keep me from going nuts. Like, you know, yeah. because I was, fever. I was going nuts, bro. It was, it was bad. Like I, yeah. I didn't think I was going to make it through it, but so I started woodworking. Um, I'd never woodworked before. Never thought I just went to Lowe's and bought a bunch of lumber, started building stuff. And I did that throughout the, you know, pretty much the pandemic and which then the hurricane hit and we, we started, let's see, when was that? So it's like the hurricane hit. Late August of October, last year. Yeah. Or was it that late? late? Well, it was 2020. It was 2020 when it hit. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's right. So February of uh, 2020 is when everything kind of started going into lockdown mode or like yeah. somewhere around yeah. springtime. But I I had been looking at, because I'd made like some antler stuff, uh, like rings and all, and in the process of making, of looking up videos on how to make antler rings and all this different kind of stuff. I think a, a traditional bow video popped in there like clay haze, you know? So I watched it and I was like, man, I could, that would be great. That would be awesome to do. Like it was, it was a challenge because, you know, I'd hunted and killed a deer and I started feeling like I was having problem. I didn't feel the want to go hunting anymore, you know, because, you know, it just didn't bring me any joy. So that was that's when the seed was planted in my head. Maybe I could yeah. do this one day. Yeah. So um how fast many, through the Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. All right. Fast forward through the pandemic, uh hurricane happened. We we pretty much decided to move back down to Ala, where my parents are at. Or they live in Urania, but we wanted to move back to the area so we could help them out. A lot of things happened, you know. They needed our help, and I wasn't available at the time. Too, wasn't that far away, but I was far enough to where I couldn't just, like, pick up and move everything down here and help them out. So we wanted to move back down here. And uh, so when I moved back down here, I continued everything. And then that's when I, you know, started to really, like, all right, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to get get some wood. I'm just going to start building I went through about the first one I tried to build was out of cedar. Um, I snapped it uh, because it had, I'm, I'm pretty sure it had worms in it, worm holes. But oh, at least 20 bows later is when I got to this one. <laughs> I have snapped so many bows that I've really lost count. I used to keep them because I, I was, I was saying to myself like, man, this is going to be a reminder of all my failures is like, you know, yeah. but I got tired of looking at them because they were hanging up in the shop. <laughs> and so I burned them all. I was like, I was like, screw this. They're gone. So 
So I burned them all, and I think the last count was like around 20. Um, so I, I really – I'd been seeing all the Osage and stuff, and that's – I really didn't research what Osage was, but it was, it was the wood to go for. So I finally, you know, spent the money on a good Osage stave, and that was the one that didn't break on me. Before that, I – I thought I thought it was going to be the cherry wood that I'd had. I got some cherry wood from a mill down the road, but it ended up snapping on me too, and I just about gave it up. I was so tired of failing. You know, it, I mean, it it brought a lot of emotions up in me. Like, uh, you know, I, I struggled with like uh, relevancy in life because the VA retired me a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do to like, I guess, prove myself that I can still be, you know, somewhat, uh, I guess, uh, influential or you know, bes- the people besides my kids are, you know, what a, a contributing member to, to the community. Yeah. I struggle with that, man. Like it's been something that I've, uh, I'm still dealing with, you know, because when people ask me what I do, like I'm, I'm retired. He's like, how old are you? It's like, well, only 39. You know, I'll be, I will be 39 in December. But, um, you know, it's an early retirement. It's an unexpected early retirement. And so when they find out that I'm retired, they, you know, they'll look up and they look at my body like, what's wrong with you? It's like, nothing's wrong. I'm not missing any limbs or anything. It's just, you know, I'm dealing with stuff. Yeah. And um, so anyway, failure. I hate it. Like it, it drives me nuts. It's something because if I, I can't physically overcome this, you know, it's not something that if you just keep muscling through it, you're going to get it. It's not like baseball. It's not like football. It's not like, you know, when I was, I was in the infantry, it's like, you just keep, keep trying harder and don't give up. You know, it's okay to struggle, but don't give up because, you know, eventually you'll get there. But this is a skill. This is a craft. You know, this is something that you, you can't control what's in the wood. You know, you won't mm-hmm. know what's in there until you get down to it when you're tillering it. So I kept snapping them, man. And I was I was just like, God, maybe this ain't what I'm meant to do, you know. And, you know, I, I didn't think it. That last bow that I broke, I, I was like, well, I guess that's it, man. And I don't know what made me just – because my wife has been on my butt about spending money. <laughs> and um, I bought some traditional bows, like a long bow, um, off of Amazon. And I, I bought a couple of those. And I, you know, I can shoot those really well. But I, I still wanted to just have a bow that I made that I could take on. Because it just burnt me up inside that I was almost there. And I still dealing with failure. So I spent money on a Osage stay and when it got in, like, you know, I didn't really tell my wife about it. And it it's more expensive <laughs> than just about any of the bows that I got. <laughs> so I eventually I started working on it and um you know, I took it easy on it and I was making sure that I wasn't going to snap it, I'd tiller it and I'd, you know, put it on the tiller and rack and say, All right, it's looking good, looking good. And finally, I got to the point where I could like string it up, and I you know pull it back, and I pull it back, 
slow and pull back more. And then you know, I got brave enough to fire an arrow out of it. Okay. And dude shoots too. It's like, it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's a stout bow. Like I hadn't weighed it yet until today. Yesterday, I, I finally got a scale in. Just those ones you pull back on, you know, and it mm-hmm. tells you how heavy it is. Mm-hmm. And it was a 68 pounds. And Pretty stout. for a long bow or traditional bow, the I've been shooting 45s and 50s. And mm-hmm. uh, I knew it was heavier than that. And I kept the limbs on I kept it kind of thick because I didn't want it to break on me, you know. Yeah. And I could take more off of it, but I don't I don't I don't think I ever will. And I weighed it again today and it was seventy one. So I don't know what happened. Something I guess it aged a little bit more and it got stouter because that's what Osage is supposed to do. But uh the dude it man, it rips. Like it's just a it's a killer. It it throws that arrow. With, with meaning, yeah. You know? um, but anyway, I completed it, and I shot it, and it was only like probably a month ago, I guess now, when I completed it, and I I have been shooting it every day just about it up until this past weekend, because I knew I wanted to take it that opening morning, and I'd been seeing deer signs, been going out to my lease and uh, doing the scouting, because that's what I that's what I love. I love to scout. I love to go out there and I'd love to see the bush hooks. I like to see the deer trails, and, you know, where they've been, see, you know, I, I hunt a good watershed system and they walk those, you know, the dry watershed beds and stuff. And I've been going out there all summer long, uh, looking for arrowheads and, uh, um, petrified wood. You know, I even found a human bone, you know, it's pretty cool, but it's fossilized. <laughs> so it ain't recent. <laughs> Uh, but keep down the down low because I don't want them to come out there and digging up my, <laughs> my area. So I don't know where it. <laughs> so I, I, I want to. What kind of arrow setup did you end up? You know, you got the bow going, okay. and so how did you end up yeah. finalizing on an arrow that shot well out of it and all that? No, I, yeah, that was a, that was a new thing to me. I had I, I had no knowledge of it. So I got a couple buddies at church that. They're really big hunters, Delton Hatton and uh, uh, Clayton Pruitt. They're really big traditional hunters. And they started throwing out like terminology that that was like basically a foreign language to me. They know anything about it. Uh, And and it's not, it's it's nothing uh, crazy, but it's like, I don't know. The, um, what do you, what do you call that? Uh, The, like the spine and front of center or grain. Yeah, the branch. spine, all that stuff. Yeah, like I had. Yeah. No, I, th- I just bought some arrows off Amazon when I started trying to make them and shooting them. And, you know, they were going everywhere, and my whole form was wrong. You know, because the compound you have, you know, the release and you pull it back and you have the little eye thing. Uh, and you know, I'd done that before, but this whole traditional thing, man, I I was pulling it back like way up here and stuff, and I just it was goofy looking. And so the guy from my church, so he's like, dude, what you're doing is wrong. And it kind of hit me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, how dare you? How dare you come and tell me I'm doing something wrong? But in reality, like he was totally right. He's the one that actually showed me how to shoot. Yeah. And so uh, I started uh, looking for the right arrows and I know, you know, spending more money on the good arrows is, will make you, make you or break you. So, I've been shooting the Black Eagle uh, mm-hmm. Vintage, 
and 31 inch. Um, I, th I think it's 31 inch. I'm pretty sure that's the only number that comes to my mind. Uh, but they come in 32 and I take, you know, an inch off of them. And then, so I, I, I guess per inch is like seven point something. I think that's what it said. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Then a hundred grain insert and then 125 uh, grain broadhead. I think it's the Magnus broadhead is what yeah. I used the other night. So you got a, a kind of a large cut, cut on impact style yeah. head. Yeah. 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 And, and there's people that use even heavier, like those guys, you know, yeah. they, they're shooting like 200 grain broadheads and stuff yeah. with 100 grain insert. Well, I'm guessing if, if your bow is pulling around 70 pounds and you got a, you know, a seven, probably a 7.6 is probably what it is yeah. on the, on the grains per inch. That's not a real heavy arrow. So no. if, it, you know, if you're shooting a, a 70 pound bow with a lighter arrow like that, I'm, you know, Sure, you probably, probably got, it. yeah, you probably got a lot of <laughs> yeah. ass for a uh, for a traditional setup. And the only reason why I stayed with it because it was hitting target, you know, and straight, yeah. and it, it yeah. felt right. So I was like, I ain't changing up anything, man. Well, stay with it. Let Let's fast forward to the to the actual hunt, and I, I want to, I kind of want to know, uh, you know, a little bit about how you set that up and how the hunt went, and then, you know, also just about the performance of the bow on the actual kill so i guess just start off by telling us you know how you know uh, you said you scouted a lot so i'm guessing you kind of had a plan just tell us a little bit about that yeah. hunt well that morning i went out to the lease and where i was hunting that i should have seen something without a doubt but you know the fox squirrels about ate me up um i was all gillied up sitting on the ground um the only thing that they could have seen was my arrow uh but they were coming up to me because they'd seen my arrow and they'd get close enough to me and they'd realize it was something different and they were, they'd run off, <laughs> you know. Um, but I never seen a deer, never heard anything. But we have a hog problem like crazy. And apparently they wanted to run some hog dogs through the area the day before. And them deer were not getting up because I'm, I'm hunting in between bedded area, you know, and that's all they do. They pass back and forth. And I should have seen something. But, yeah, the hogs, I have a big problem with automatic feeders. Like, that's, that's, that's my problem. Like, I, there's people that do it, but automatic feeders just throw corn on the ground and keep the hogs around. That's, that's pretty much it, man. And everything I've ever hunted has usually been like a cutover or whatever. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to hunt in like a hardwood area. But – other people on the lease are not, are not that lucky. So that's instead of looking for the trails, because they're still passing through all those places. Like they have been for generation after generation, they still decide to get up in a box stand and put the corn out and wait for the deer to come out, you know, and that's just how they hunt. I'm not knocking it because my dad still does. It. And he goes out there and he rides his side by side up to his stand, gets up in the stand and sees a dozen deer, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's his thing. You know, he's 72 years old. He can do that. He's, he's hunted the hard way before with shotgun slugs, hunting pin oak bottoms and shooting, you know, anything that got close enough, you know, to bring home food to the family. So he's paid his dues. Uh, but so anyway, I hunted out there that morning, didn't see anything. I kind of got discouraged because I found out they'd run hogs through the area and I don't know where the deer went. 
but that evening I have a trail camera out there on the edge of my property and um, it's butted up next to 40 acres of like hardwood. So, and it's, it's kind of in the middle of like a, an oil field area, but I'd had a camera out for the past couple of weeks and deer have been coming through. They would just skirt the outside of my property basically. And, but I didn't really plan on going out there and hunting deer that evening, but we've had two coyotes that's been coming around and I watched the deer all throughout the summer and there was a supposed, there was supposed to be a fawn that was out there and it's disappeared. You know, there wasn't nothing out there that was like, look, look like it just lost its spots or anything. So the coyotes have been coming around pretty hard. I went out there to kill a coyote basically because they've been coming out right after, uh, right after, right after uh, dusk, and then the deer come out later. But this, the other night, the other evening, the deer came out first. And so I'm sitting in, when I first got out there, I wanted to go out in the woods. So I hopped the fence and I went out in the woods and I'm sitting there in the bottom and there's deer signs everywhere. I'm like, all right, man, you know, I was I was like, either I'm going to see these coyotes or I'm going to see these deer. So I started getting, started thinking, I was like, all right, well, I might want to shoot a deer if it comes up. So as soon as I sat down and I kind of calmed down, mosquitoes attacked me. They just, there was, it was so miserable. Like I, I kept, I kept trying to put something over my face. And even when I did that, they fly up underneath it and I was constantly blowing, swatting, so decided to go back more into the open and have there's some tall grass around the edge of the fence line. So I sat down and it on the ground and I think whatever, whatever the weed was, I don't know if it was milkweed or whatever, um, stuff that you can break up and it just smells yeah. really funny. Mm-hmm. Maybe goat weed. Oh, something like that. Yeah. But I sat down in it and I was like, I hope this keeps the mosquitoes away or whatever. Cause I didn't bring any kind of like skeeter dope, flipping deck on skeeter dope. I didn't bring anything like that, and they were just as bad. And so I put up a lean-to back as soon as we moved on the property. Um, and I was saving it for, like, I was like, man, I might want to shoot a shoot a deer with a shotgun out of it or something, you know. So I decided to get up in the lean-to. I was hoping that the mosquitoes weren't as bad. And they were they were still pretty bad, but it was it was, you know, manageable. So I just got up in it and I stood up and I was like, I'm going to stand here until, uh, until it gets dark. And I wasn't there for probably five minutes, man. And them deer come out. I thought they were going to come out behind me, which was upwind, but they ended up coming out in front of me, which were downwind. So I, my, taking my, my like longbow is like 71 inches, right? Which is as tall as I am. Yeah. So I'm sitting here with this longbow standing up just like with it in front of me like this. And they smell me, and it's probably about four or five deer. I, I don't know because I was where I'm hunting is a lot of trees right in the corner, but they were, they started coming across my pasture, and um, they smelled me. And there was a a big doe. That I was like, if I can get a shot on her because she had two two young does with her, which looked like they were probably twins, right? And then there was a even it was a younger one, but 
it looked like it was at least, you know, last year dough or something. But then there was the spike that I killed. The big doe, she would never come up to where I was at. She kept, she'd come up because um, there was like white oaks and stuff were around where I was hunting. She'd come up close to it and then she'd run back to the edge of the wood line. And then they, they kept trying to come to it, but it kept winding me. And so they, they decided to hop the fence and go around me. But when they got closer to me, only the two, uh, I call them the twin does, they hopped out and they started feeding. And then that's when the spike came through. The spike, I'd been seeing him like all summer long, you know. At one point, he had like walked almost through my front yard. And they're still pretty skittish now. There's a lot of oil field workers and stuff out here. And they usually don't even come out until they're gone. And you can't walk out in your front yard and like feed them or anything like that. Them suckers, they'll they'll run. But we still have there's we still have persimmon groves around here, a lot of white oaks, pin oaks, uh, red oaks, all that stuff. And I have clover in my um, my pasture that grows every year, and they love that stuff. Um, so anyway, I've been seeing him, and I was like, man. I don't want to shoot any, I don't want to shoot the any of the does because I was wanting to keep them around for rut season. And I was wanting really wanting to shoot the big doe, but she would never come out. But when the, the spike came through, he kept trying to come through the fence and kept getting his head caught. I was like, oh Lord. <laughs> this dude is about to make it was like almost making me laugh, like just watching him. But um <laughs> yeah. So I'm standing there, and I was like, okay. And I'd st- I was still thinking that I was out there to shoot some coyotes. And I, I, didn't, I didn't really plan on going out there because I told my wife, I was like, I'm going to go hunt these coyotes to see if I can't shoot one with my bow. And, um, but I got the thing, I was like, man, I ain't got no meat in the freezer. <laughs> Not one single deer left. And, like, my wife's always griping to me, like, you're always going hunting, never bringing home anything. So it was the first day of the year, but it was the last season when she used to tell me that. Like, but um, so the spike would never get in range. And now the two does, they just were all up underneath. Now, I was still I'm I'm pretty good at staying still, you know, and I don't I I clear my mind and I just my my knees everything was hurting on me, like holding my bow up and my legs. I had kept having to bend them keep from passing out and falling out the lean to. Uh, <laughs> so that's the only thing I kept thinking. I was like, please don't pass out. It's a long way down. Um, but they kept feeding. They look up at me and they'd go back down. To feed. And then all of a sudden they look up at me again. And we just kept staring at each other. And the whole time I'm seeing that spike coming up to the fence line. And then he'd kind of go back and he'd come up again. Finally, he got his head through and he hopped through. But he, those does kept running him back off away from me so eventually he came up but he was facing and it was like in the way i was standing up in that lean to it was kind of like there was only going to be this shot right or facing directly at me but he would never give me that he kept staying to my right and i didn't feel comfortable about turning my whole entire body while keeping my legs straight and shooting that way i'd never done that before 
so I was praying. I was like, please, God, you know, if it's your will, let this deer turn broadside and, you know, give me a shot. And sure enough, like after I said that little prayer and like talked to God, he, he turned uh, and went to go back to the fence line. And when he got to the fence, he just like looked back at the does and that's, it was, it was like turned like this. And i literally just drew back. And as soon as I got back to my anger point, I like let it go. And when I let go, I followed through and my elbow hit the tree. I didn't see the arrow. All I heard was a thump, right? I thought I'd missed him because the does just froze and they turned around and they were looking and they went back to feeding. The spike, he hopped the fence and he ran out in the in the um, woods about 20 yards. I could still see him there, but he was out of my like range. Of, so I reached down. I was going to try to get another arrow. I was like, heck, I'm just going to get one of these does. <laughs> so I went to reach to get another arrow. And when I was pulling it out, I looked up to see where that spike was. And he just like dropped. And <laughs> dude... I dealt with so much failure up until that point of like doubting myself that I could even do it, you know, and I was turned the wrong way and my elbow hit the tree. And I was like, there's no way I could have hit that deer, you know, and I didn't see it hit. Didn't see, I didn't, you know, he didn't act like he got hit. He went out there and like turned around and was like laughing at me, you know, the dozes, like, like, who is this guy? Uh, but when he dropped him, he started flopping around I just sat down and like, I, I started crying. Like it was, it felt like being a kid again, man. It yeah. was a, uh, that feeling that I'd been searching for the wanting to feel from like a hunt, like, you know, and it, it wasn't like even one of those hunts where, you know, I've watched videos, these guys going out and, and hunting these, these deer and they're killing deer, like doing it really hard way. It's on my property. Now this property is, it, I told my buddy, the guy I actually bought the, the place from, it's the most expensive deer I've ever killed because <laughs> it came along with a mortgage. <laughs> but everything, the reason why I was able to purchase the property and stuff is because of all those years before, you know, I was able to get a VA loan, um, was able to, all the benefits of become, being a disabled veteran came along with it. I was able to do because of that. I was able to give my family something that I really wanted to give them. So that little deer represented like tons of things on the plate that I'd been dealing with and wanting to do. And like, it was just, a, it was, a, it was, a, I got flooded emotional, like right then and there. And that's why I sat down and I just like, you know, when he, when he went down, those does like, were like, Oh crap, what happened? So they kind of went off and then he started blowing. They started blowing and things quietened down. And then it got dark and I could still hear him out there flopping around. I was like, man, I hope I didn't gut shot him. But I knew he couldn't get up because I'd seen him trying to. And so I like had to compose myself and figure out what I was going to do with this deer. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't even have a pistol on me or nothing. Um, I didn't want to, I was, I'm in this like Bayou Bow League and you can't count your deer if you finish it off with a pistol, so you have to finish it off with an arrow, right? Um, but I didn't want to get down and jump him up, you know, yeah. and him run off through the woods and maybe lose him or whatever. 
So, okay, so my plan was I'm going to climb down out of this stand, compose myself, climb down out of this stand, and walk across my pasture back to my house and um, go get my wife, <laughs> which, you know, walking up to the door and walked in the house, and I, I said, hey, babe, I was like, uh, I need you to come with me. I got a, I got a deer down, and she's like, what do you, you – you shot a deer with your, with your bow? And I was like, which – she has doubted me too because I'd been breaking bows like crazy and complaining about it. And you know, you know, back I'd been all right. So like I've been, you know, I've been sober, clean and sober for like over a year now. And she's known me when I was trying to make these bows when I was drinking heavily till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning out in my shop. You know, you just getting mad at myself and then always upset trying to deal with COVID and you know, being a father and trying to figure out what I'm going to do in my life now, since everything in the world that I've been doing kind of changed up. And so like, you know, now she's seen me transition from that into like somebody that's really trying to do it, you know, and it's been one failure after another. And like that last boat was like a really, it, it hit me hard because I took my time with it. And I, I was, I was super excited. It was, it was fast. It was, you know, it felt good, but then it broke. And I remember when it broke, I like destroyed it completely all the way. Like, and then I'd set fire to it and I'm just like, like done. <laughs> As men do, we react physically, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've started destroying things and she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but anyways, so I finally, I told, you know, I told her, I was like, okay, I got a deer down. Um, I don't know if I gut shot it or I hit it in the backbone or what. I don't know if I have to finish it off, but I, I will have to finish it off with an arrow. So I need you to come hold the flashlight. And her eyes like like that big around. She was like, you mean I got to hold a flashlight while you shoot a deer? <laughs> and I could tell she didn't want to do it, but, you know, she was the only one available and I had to do it. So here we go. And we went back out through the pasture and we got there and I found my arrow and it was right there where the deer was standing. And when I seen the arrow, it was covered in blood and guts and like, dude, it was, it went through like butter. It, yeah. like it, it looked like it didn't, it didn't even check up, dude. It just was dripping with stuff. I was like, Oh, but it had, you know, a lot of gut material on it. Like, you know, acorns and grass and all kinds of kinds of things. And, uh, so I handed her the, the, the arrow and she goes, the arrow went all the way through it? I was like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so we laid it over on the side, and I climbed through the barbed wire fence, and I, and I was like, just shining, shining out in the woods. I think he's about right over there. And so she was trying to shine it, and it's kind of like, you know, telling your kid to hold the flashlight while you're working on something. It ain't going to work, you know. <laughs> so I was like, just give me the flashlight. So I'm out there with the flashlight in my mouth, like, you know, trying to <laughs> – trying to get ready in case I have to shoot this deer again. And man, I turned, I was walking straight thinking that's where he was. And then I went to turn around to tell my wife something. When I went around, I seen his eyes and he was dead as a door now, man. And I'd hit him quarter in a way. And it went through basically that aortic artery through his liver, lung, and nicked his heart too. And it went out like, so high back, right. And it went out through the left lower. 
Like, perfect like, shot, I, really. Dude, yeah. Yep. You couldn't ask for a perfect shot. I wasn't expecting even a perfect shot. I I was aiming, you know, basically for that right behind the shoulder shot. But yep. the way I shot him, I guess it just threw that off just a tad bit to where it went right. Dude, it, it was a perfect shot. It really, and I, he was probably dead within 30 minutes, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's. Well, we drug, we drug him out, man. I, me and her loaded him up in the back of the truck, and that's whenever she took the picture. And, dude, it was like, it was just me and her out there. And I was just like, man, I can't believe this, like, happened. You know? Was, yeah. I didn't expect it to happen on the first day. Taking it all I in. Just, dude, it, it was, like I said, I was emotionally flooded. And I felt like a kid and. I want to do it more now. I'm working on a hickory boat. Like I'm going to make another boat. And I'm going to sell this boat. <laughs> yeah. That's that's cool, man. That's uh yeah, that's an awesome story. It, so we we really you know we wanted to we wanted to um, to hear the story of someone who made their own bow and was able to be successful with it and actually got a whole lot more than just that because uh, there's obviously a... That bow, that bow's been therapy, man. Yeah. It's basically... That's really... Yeah. That's I don't really think cool. you need to sell it. No, I would never sell that bow. I, would, I wouldn't sell now, that I'm not going to sell that bow, but I'm, that hickory one I'm making one right now, if I kill <laughs> another one with it, if I kill one with it, I'm going to sell it. Yeah. yeah. Well... My wife, she's like, you got too many bows. Yeah. Well, it's... um. It's an amazing, really, it, it really is an amazing story of, of, you know, just overcoming adversity in, in that regard. But then it's also just an amazing story to, to, to be able to, it's, it, it is a heck of an accomplishment. And I know you, you mentioned with with all of the, the struggles that you've gone through in your life, you know, dealing with uh, the, the problems following your military career and all that kind of stuff. It's You mentioned, you know, you wanted to be able to uh, to contribute to society, contribute to the community, and that kind of thing. And and I know it it, maybe it doesn't feel like a a big contribution in 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 regards to the big picture of of society and all that. But but just being able to uh, to to do to accomplish something like that and to do it humbly with a, a true story of 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 not just hey I'm. I'm a deer hunter and I want to build a bow and kill a deer with it. But, but actually, um, letting, letting hunting be something that's of greater importance to you in your life than just simply killing a deer and being able to share that story, you know, very openly is, is a really cool thing. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to tell it here on the podcast. Cause I think a lot of people will be inspired by it. And, uh, you Definitely. know, it's funny. We, I know you said you hadn't listened to the podcast, but, we had um, a guest on a couple of weeks ago who's a friend of ours who's been involved with the Louisiana Boner community for a long time, named Garrett Ramsey. And, um, you know, a very different story from yours in that he's a guy who took on this task of building his own bow just simply because he's been an archer for so long and it's just something he wanted to do, just a challenge, you know. Yeah. Less of a less of something to occupy him and give him something to succeed at and more of just like just a challenge, you know. Um, and I, I thought that we would be having this conversation with him one day when he was able to kill a deer with his bow, and I still hope that we are. But I was really, I, I was really excited when when we saw your post come up on on social media, and and to be able to hear your story. And like I said, you've it, it's kind of a, it's it's more of a story of of personal struggle and trial and tribulation, and how hunting can be so much more than just going out and killing something, you know. Dude, uh, 
that's I, really I, cool. Like I can be out in the woods all day long and not even not even worry about seeing anything. Like I want to see something, but just being out in the woods and sitting down on the side of the ridge where I hunt, just yeah. looking at everything. Not even it's not even really about the kill, Dude, you know? I know. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I'm I I can't I don't want to beat my chest about like the actual kill, but I'll beat my chest like all day long about, you know, the hunt, the, all the things I went through up until then. And then like, you know, even making the bow and and just going, going through what I went through, like, and I've always wanted to be an influence. Well, I think the praying that God would let me be an influence in a certain way. I never expected it to be like, well, I think that it's, it's, this is like the most influential thing I've yeah. ever did on a broad. I think the most important the the most important part of that is just the ability to stick to stick with it because I, you know, to hear to hear the the to, to hear the story of of what you went through to try to just get to that place and how many times you failed and and kind of coming to the brink of just giving up on it and just continuing despite that and and then to just be able to uh to see that final outcome you know and i i'm sure it goes without saying that you know when you're you're sitting there today and you were able to finish the project you're able to do it you know meet your expectations and then have success with it as a hunter and do all that then you look back on those days where you were just about to give up and i'm sure you're very glad that you didn't and kind of brings it all together you know and that's a that to me that's the like i think there are so many guys that's yeah that's a big part of the message and i think there are so many people in hunting in general that uh all of us i think are guilty of it i know i am in some in some capacities in in different ways that we just get so caught up in in you know certain parts of it and in certain parts of like there's just always a means to an end and we just kind of forget about the path and the process and what all of that can do for us and you know so it becomes easy to just be like you know i got a couple pictures of that buck but i ain't ever gonna kill him and you just kind of give up on it and then you never get to experience you know what it's like to be able to to see it through and look back on all those struggles and all those things you wish you'd have done different and all that but you can you can kind of put a bow on it and 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 like we just get so caught up in just harvesting an animal or some means to some end and and i think uh that's kind of a cool part of the story too is you're able to tie so like even even all the way down to you know what that deer means to you is being able to buy your own property and that deer kind of symbolizing a a a really a milestone achievement of of it's not just a deer you killed but it's really a it's kind of a, a a symbol of you being able to bring your life to the place to be able to have yeah. that property to hunt on and, 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 and be able to do that. That's really cool too. So yeah, I, I just, I would encourage you just, you know, if you don't feel it already, I would encourage you to feel that level of accomplishment. Like you, you want to be a positive influence and, 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 and even though hunting in the hunting community is a small part of society, it's uh it, there's a lot of really cool takeaways from the story and just as as it pertains to just Louisiana bow hunter, it's just super cool to hear about somebody building their own bow and killing a deer with it. I mean, that part alone is cool enough for its own podcast. But there's so many more takeaways, and uh, that's cool. And we're we're very grateful that you chose to 
to spend the time telling Thank us you, your bro. story, man. Thank you. And I hope yep. you kill. I hope you kill some more deer with it. I hope you keep. I plan on it, man. Yeah. I, I really do. Uh, I shot it today, and it it felt just as good as it did the other night. First time I've shot it since then. Well, you know, it's um, it's a stout bow. It uh, I I didn't realize because I've been shooting the past couple of days. I've been shooting the fifty pound, and then when I strung it back up and started shooting, I was like, okay, and it it slaps too, man. It'll slap my my forearm and leave <laughs> leave a good mark. The other ones I don't have to use, but that one I have to kind of get prepared for it. And, yeah, you know, it's a, it's it's a piece of lumber, man. It's heavier than ever, anything I got too. And so I don't I don't know if uh, hunting in a tree is kind of like that. That would I definitely wouldn't recommend using a bow like that in the tree, uh, just because it's so long and it hits everything. But it was I, I was planning on killing a deer from the ground with it. Um, that didn't happen. That's not what God wanted. So, uh, I ended up doing that way and, uh, almost, you know, really hoping I wouldn't fall out of the tree after I shot too. Well, I Uh, think killing any, uh, killing a deer from the ground with any archery equipment is another challenge in and of itself, you know, just because of how close and the angles you got to have to, to actually make a, a successful shot. And that's hard on the ground and, and so whenever you're able to do that, that'll be another accomplishment because, yeah. it, it, you know, it's uh, – that's hard in and of itself. So, But it sounds to me like you got the <laughs> – you got the commitment that's, to do it. <laughs> I just want to hunt, man. That's all I want, you know. Yeah. That's, I enjoy the hunt more than anything. I love seeing yeah. the signs. of Seeing the deers, you know, it, and harvesting deer is, is – that's the added bonus. But just being out there and, and knowing what to look for. Yeah. having the knowledge to see the signs, see like I can walk in the woods and see, see the trail right away. The other people, it might not stick out like that, but it's obviously there, you know, you know, I, to, to kind of make a, 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 a comment on that and, and as we kind of get to where we're going to wrap up here. But, you know, I think that that's one of the benefits of being a bow hunter is everything that you do. We, this is, this gets talked about in so many different conversations on this podcast and, and, and everywhere that, but being a bow hunter, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure in a lot of ways because of the challenges that regardless of what kind of bow you shoot, just the challenges of having to get so close to an animal that lives its whole life trying to avoid you and things like you, you know, and it's very good at doing it. So you're setting yourself up for that. And so what it, what it creates is it creates, even if it's subconscious, it creates, um, if you're a good hunter, you start becoming much more detail-oriented because you have to be. You know, you learn whether directly or subconsciously that I'm only going to figure these things out if I pay really close attention and I learn how to, uh, you know, analyze what I'm looking at and be really good at that because there's really no shortcut to that when it comes to it, I mean, short of just being a very casual hunter that just finds itself in a lucky situation from time to time. If you Bro, want to those, be, uh, those white oaks stick out a lot more too now. Yeah. I mean the feed trees <laughs> that, uh, that are actually productive, the, the trails and how yeah. they're using them. You, you have to learn to pay more attention to that in greater detail because it's the only way you're going to f- make decisions that put you in bow range of a deer. And so like, that's kind of a thing that, you're just kind of reiterating, I think, to a lot of people that, that are bow hunters that are listening to this, that like, you know, choosing to do it that way, it forces you to become a better woodsman. It's either that or you're just going to be 
a miserable hunter that never has any success, you know? And so, uh, well, a lot of those things, like my dad taught me a long time ago because he hunted with a shotgun and it's, it's not too much out of the range of, of, of a bow. Yeah. You know, you only got a certain uh, distance that you can get a shot in and yeah. he always hunted, you know, white oaks and, and told me to look for the trails and signs and get off of the right away, get out of the field, you know, and get out of the box stand and go sit on a stump in the wood. Yeah. And that's how it started out for me. And I didn't expect to use, I, I had no plan to use that later on, like any kind of archery, but that just carried on that knowledge of shotgun hunting carried on into archery because that's, it's exactly what you need to look for when, yeah. if you want to get close enough to a deer. Yep. Well, we're, uh, we're about running into our time here. Just thank you again, Jacob. We really appreciate you telling your story and hope that you'll, you we can follow along with your season. If you have more success and stuff to hope you'll share that on the community page so we can keep up with you and maybe check up and see how oh it's going. Um, I'm really interested to see how, uh, how that goes and, and, uh, how your bow building progresses from here. So yeah, we'll, man. we'll definitely follow I, I really up. enjoy the hat. Like I can wear the hat now and, and actually feel right about it you know, <laughs> Louisiana bow hunter. well i am a bow hunter now man How you, def- about that? you definitely are well thank <laughs> you again and hey, i want to remind everybody um we've got a lot of new merchandise out and we've got more new merchandise that we're in the in the process some new hat designs and things like that we're gonna try to do another big drop of um some new stuff like here sometime later in october early november that kind of hits in the middle of the season while everybody's really uh involved and out there and want to encourage you to take uh, kind of be looking at that and and some of the other stuff that we're doing we've got uh we've got the the custom wood grunt calls made by t3 uh with louisiana bow hunter we're going to be putting those out we've got some knocks and arrow wraps and wrist straps and some other things outside of just hats and shirts and stuff like that encourage you check out your local retailer and uh, see, we're getting stuff out to local retailers all across the state. And, of course, everything we have is online. And if you haven't, when you go on our website, you can subscribe to our newsletter that uh, we'll be sending out information about the podcast and about how the season's going and different sales on different things like that. So just encourage you to get involved. Um, be looking for more information about our monthly giveaways as well as our film contest that we're going to do. Uh, at the conclusion of the season all of those things just stay active with the community follow us on all the different places where you find us and uh, we we really appreciate it and thank you again jacob colin uh, good luck whenever you decide to go hunting again um i'm gonna go hunting soon but it won't be in a saddle and uh, <laughs> uh or at least not right away i got some more work to do but it's been a great first week of the season. As y'all listen to this, as this podcast drops, we'll be going into the second weekend, and hopefully this fine weather we have will keep up. We need a little bit of rain, though, because I know a lot of us got to plant some food plots. That's, we need a little rain for that, but um, some cool temperatures here to start off the season. And, you know, just if you haven't and you don't, go follow the community page. There's a lot of people posting their success, the deer that they've killed and, and stuff like that, and it, it looks like it's going to be a great year. So, Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, make sure you check us out at LouisianaBowHunter.com. We'll talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week. Thank you.